Support for Switched On Pop comes from VibeCheck. If you need more of my friend Sam Sanders in your life, then you'll want to check out his new pod called VibeCheck. Each week, Sam and his two best friends, writer Saeed Jones and journalist and producer Zach Stafford, make sense of what's going on in the news and culture, from foreign policy to how to heal from a breakup. Every Wednesday, they check the vibe of what's going on in the world and how it all feels. It's like your favorite group chat come to life. Listen to and follow Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. Nate, when I play this on the piano, what do you hear? I hear a C major 7 chord. Okay, and if I play it a little more arpeggiated? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe the background of a, of an ad for anti-depression <laughs> medication or something? How about if it's fully orchestrated? Ah. Okay, now I've got it. That's the theme song for the Netflix show Stranger Things, which I have seen exactly one and a half episodes of. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember this I remember the theme. It's very memorable. It is very memorable. This theme has arguably changed music. I actually emailed the people from reverb.com. They're one of the biggest online marketplaces for instruments. Uh-huh. And they said that keyboards and synthesizers have outpaced the growth of guitars by 50% this year. And that Stranger Things might have a little bit to do with it. In fact, they have a video of how to make Stranger Things sounds that has been viewed 1.5 million times. People like this theme song. Wow. So this is having the same effect that the Hunger Games did on archery. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. After the Hunger Games came out, kids across the world went and bought a bow and arrow. After Stranger Things came out, kids around the world went out and bought a synthesizer. I don't know if you're pulling my leg. Which part? <laughs> <laughs> the archery. It is verifiable. Snopes it. It checks out. I'm feeling very confident about this analogy. I can at least say that the latter part is correct because it seems everybody wants to recreate this sound. Here's just a few examples from YouTube. So season four of this Netflix show, Stranger Things, has mm -hmm. dropped recently. We're currently actually mid-season because we're still waiting for the final two episodes, which will air in July. Oh, wow. Okay. And this time, the show has not only upended the synthesizer market, it has upended popular music. Okay. Break that down for me. Let's actually start by going to a listener for their take. Hey, Charlie and Nate. This is Pernilla from Malmö in Sweden. Hmm. Uh, like many others, I've had my love for Kate Bush reignited recently by hearing Running Up That Hill on Stranger Things. And I just love those gloomy synth moods and beautifully strange vocal touches that she has. I'm really hoping that you can help me understand what it is that makes this song so evocative. 
and how it can have such a broad appeal still now, almost 40 years after its release. Well, that's cool. First of all, maybe the first listener voicemail we've had from Sweden. We'd have to verify that, but... That's fun. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any others. And so you're telling me, in addition to repopularizing the synthesizer, this new season of Stranger Things has also reignited people's knowledge and affection of Kate Bush's song, Running Up a Hill. That's exactly right. The Kate Bush song... Running Up That Hill is part of a pivotal plot point in this new season of Stranger Things. Hmm. And it has reignited people's love for it. For many people, they're hearing it for the first time. The song is doing so well that it's actually charting today better than it did when it was originally released in 1985. It's currently at number two in the UK. It had gone to number three originally. Right now, it's in the top 10 on the Hot 100 in the United States. It only went to 30 back in the day. And so this song has crossed over from Netflix to Gen Z discovering it on TikTok. Hmm. It's now playing on radio again. It's rising up the charts. It's always fascinating when songs crash back onto the charts after like decades-long absences. So maybe we can listen a little closer and try and understand what people are hearing in this Kate Bush track. Okay, let's start from the top where we hear these almost haunting synth pad sounds. And then a propulsive drum groove enters and an iconic synth lead. I mean, we're not five seconds into this song and I'm already hooked. Yeah. Let's break down some of these elements. So haunting pads. I think that was a good description, Charlie. But then these like propulsive driving drums. Why do they sound so awesome, <laughs> for lack of a better word? Well, they're really familiar because they're made from the Lindrum, which is one of the first sample-based drum machines. We associate it with acts like Prince. Mm -hmm. It has a particular sound that when we hear it, we're taken right to the 80s, especially because of that snare drum. Like, if you isolate the snare drum on the Lindrum, mm. it's dry, kind of basic. Now, if you were to put some reverb on it, it'd sound like this. But if you want to make it super 80s, you got to use that gated snare sound, that Phil Collins-y kind of drum artificial reverb. Hmm. The reverb ends too quickly. Yeah, I didn't like that. No, that 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 is the sound. That really? is this. Oh, yeah. Okay, wait, give it to me again. Okay, so hearing it in context, I like it because it feels a little unnatural in a very compelling way. So Yeah, like I, everything from the 80s. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so those are the drums, but what about the sound that I can only describe as... <laughs> that, that's about it. That's, that's exactly how they made it. Oh, really? No. That's the sound of the Fairlight CMI. It was one of the first digital samplers. So it wasn't Kate Bush at the mic going, Well, <laughs> <laughs> kind of. It's a really strange artificial sound. You know, this fairly primitive technology 
in the 80s was at the time extremely expensive. This device sold anywhere from twenty dollars to $70,000. And Kate Bush owned one. She had been exposed to it by the musician Peter Gabriel, who she'd collaborated with. And the album she made previously to Hounds of Love, which Running Up That Hill is from, hmm. costs so much money that her record label is getting pretty upset. And so hmm. she actually built a home studio based around this Fairlight CMI where she could experiment endlessly and make weird sounds. So I imagine Kate Bush sitting in her home studio experimenting with these funny samples. And I actually have a digital recreation of the synthesizer. So I tried to see if I could do what she did. Hmm. I think she used this really cheesy cello sample that then if you kind of put it into that melody and if you process it and pitch bend it and make it really kind of goofy with some delay and reverb. (gasps) Whoa, that was really close, Charles. I think I did an okay job. There's probably some other layers I'm missing. I said close, not perfect, so. (laughs) I'll take what I can get. Okay, so recap, we've got that synth pad sound, we've got the propulsive lindrum sound, Mm -hmm. we've got this iconic digital lead sound that is cello-esque. I don't think that these things alone are sufficient to make this the song that is rising back up the charts. You know, there were other big songs that were placed on Stranger Things that haven't done the same thing. Great songs. Dead or Alive's You Spin Me Round. Talking Heads' Psycho Killer. And my favorite musical placement that hasn't gone back up the charts, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy. These were all great songs in their time, still great songs, all played on Stranger Things, but it was the Kate Bush song that broke out. And I think our job is to figure out what made it stand out. Why is it perfectly integrated into the show in a way that is made to capture our attention? Cool. Warning. Uh-oh. Minor spoilers ahead. Are they scary? Terrifying. Oh, God. Okay. Let me gird, let me gird myself. Are you girded? I'm girded. Well girded. Okay, let's start with the obvious reasons of why this song is a success. Mm -hmm. I think first and foremost, nostalgia for the 1980s in film, television, and music is at its peak. Stranger Things has capitalized on this 80s cultural nostalgia since the very beginning in the same way that pop stars have. From Carly Rae Jepsen... Of course, The Weeknd... Not only are we in a period of 80s nostalgia priming us to be ready for Kate Bush's return, but placing it in Stranger Things is important because Stranger Things Season 4 has broken streaming records. It was Netflix's most-watched English TV show, going to number one in 91 countries in front of Seasons 1, 2, and 3, which are the next three most-watched things on Netflix. Really? Yes. Wow. That's remarkable. Okay. So... If you're getting placed on this show, you got a lot of people who are going to hear it. Again, there are other good songs that were also placed. So why this one? I think it has to do with how it was integrated into the show. Uh, Okay. Right? Now, now first of all, this season takes place in 1986. The song came out in 1985. So Hmm. good timing for the actual plot of the show. Indeed. And it's used diegetically the first time we hear it whoa okay uh modern culture and media over here uh (laughs) what diegetically what does that mean 
it means that the music is actually happening within the world of the TV show. It's not just soundtracking background music, but it's being experienced by the people in the show. So if you have a scene like in Stranger Things where the character Max is walking down the hallway with her Walkman over her ears uh -huh. and you're hearing Kate Bush's running up that hill, it's happening for that character and it's happening for us. It's happening diegetically. Diegetically. And it's happening in this way where it's like, it's this locker room scene that's like a John Hughes style film. Again, very 80s reference nostalgia. The drum beat gives the character Max this sort of strut in her step. And the lyrics play into this character's narrative. Hmm. In season three, Max tragically lost her stepbrother, Billy, who's been killed by a monster. And she's sort of contemplating, like, I would like to be able to trade places with you. The song literally says, if I could only make a deal with God and get him to swap our places. So the lyrics are matching what's happening in Max's life. It also helps that the character Max is played by the actor Sadie Sink, who most recently had been seen in Taylor Swift's epic All Too Well short film, which was mm. viewed over 67 million times okay. on YouTube. Okay, now you're speaking my language. We got that driving drum groove, the lyrics which match the character who is having a moment in culture, and it's actually part of the story. This is a little wonky here. Again, small spoiler, but okay. there is a monster. Yeah, you already, you already dropped that. It's too late for that spoiler, but go ahead. This monster has one weakness. Uh -huh. If you're listening to your favorite music, he is unable to successfully haunt you. Wow. So if I'm listening to Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley, I will be protected from this monster. You are not about to Rickroll the entire show. It's uh, not my favorite song, but it is, it is a pretty catchy number could be good i feel like it'd be a good monster warding incantation but okay but so so it has this integral role in the narrative of the show which means that we hear the hook of the song over and uh, over again okay right there you go yeah so we are definitely set up to get that hook stuck in our ears to the point where we're like i need to go hear that again one more time but more importantly i think that this song fits seamlessly into this iconic score of Stranger Things, hmm. which we're going to hear right after the break. This is exciting. Support for Switched on Pop comes from Vibe Check. If you were an Intuit fan and you are missing Sam Sanders, then have no fear. He's back with another great pod called Vibe Check. Each week, Sam and his two best friends, writer Saeed Jones and journalist and producer Zach Stafford, make sense of what's going on in the news and culture. From Elon Musk and foreign policy to how to heal from a breakup to Usher's Super Bowl halftime show, they check the vibe of what's going on in the world and how it all feels. They're currently doing a series called Hey Sis, where they're highlighting the compelling stories of black women and their achievements. They're being joined by special guests Regina King, Audie Cornish, Raquel Willis, and more. Vibe Check is your favorite group chat come to life. You can join the Weekly Kiki every Wednesday. Listen to and follow Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts. Can't believe Sam made me say Kiki. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun. 
but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. For me, when I hear this theme song, I think Stranger Things. And when I hear this drum groove, I think Kate Bush's song, which fits really well into Stranger Things. That's because this show, which has found many people falling in love with old 80s analog synthesizers again, mm. shares a lot of the same musical language as Kate Bush. Mm. And I figured if anyone knew how those things connected, it's probably these two guys. Hi, I'm Kyle Dixon. Hi, I'm Michael Stein. We're members of the band Survive. And together we score Stranger Things. Oh, hello. Hello, composers. Turns out uh, Michael and Kyle got the Stranger Things gig in a very fun way. The Duffer Brothers, who made Stranger Things, had a demo trailer that used their band Survive as background music. Hmm. So their music's already pretty haunting. Yep. And definitely a good pick to fit the Stranger Things vibe. So they score that theme, which has become so iconic, it's it's simple, but very memorable. So I asked them, what makes it work? Musically? Oh, it's because there's like all these hidden notes that we snuck in there, you know? Like, <laughs> it's really, really complicated, advanced musical theory, microtonal stuff, you know, all, all kinds of fancy tricks. <laughs> I get the sense they're being uh, sarcastic. Yeah. They're maybe nagging themselves for the simplicity of the melody, but Michael explains that it's actually much more sophisticated than it sounds. Oh, if it was just the arpeggio that people know it for, I don't think it would be as popularized. The song is way more than that simple little arpeggio melody. It actually has over 80 tracks in it where something's always moving and swelling and setting the mood in just the right way. It's also in a major scale, but I don't know what key it really is. It's, it's, it's a kind minor. Of minor. It's a minor. I'm pretty a sure. Minor. Or C major, whichever. <laughs> I think musically it represents a lot of elements of the show where it's it's kind of dark, it's kind of ominous, yet it's still neutral and still gets you excited enough without really leaning to any real direction. Kind of like that Kate Bush song, which is in a minor key but uses lots of major chords. The Stranger Things theme has moments of both darkness and lightness in it. Hmm. It is kind of constantly trading places. 
I asked them what influences they drew on to make that soundscape. We definitely had influences that come from a lot of the same places, like Tangerine Dream, like John Carpenter. We've definitely, in in some of our band's work, have directly referenced, I feel like, very obviously, Kate Bush. Yeah. There's sometimes, like, little melodies that we'll play. There's, like, these just little <laughs> melodies that we use, and it's, like, we always refer to them, and it's, like, that's the, you know. And then the Kate Bush part comes in. Also, the, like, pitchy brass, the, like, always kind of remaking that sound. If we can can sneak that in anything, (laughs) we will. It's a great sound. Good melody. That's a good, that's a really good (laughs) song. I mean, I love hearing some of the influences there from Kate Bush to these other 80s pioneers. The sound world is, is so rich, those deep bass synthesizers regardless of which of these songs you're listening to it really puts you in a very specific place in time and i Mm. think that's why all of the songs in this constellation are so effective yeah it's a period piece Mm. this whole thing is just 1980s in a blender and if you've watched the show you realize that the soundtrack is very much in simpatico with kate bush so I thought what we could do is take a survey of some of the original soundtracks from Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. You're going to hear a lot of those Kate Bush sounds. Take, for example, that pad that we heard at the opening of Running Up That Hill. Yeah. There's no place to start. There's just countless pads like this throughout Stranger Things. Here's (laughs) Ego in the Snow. Or the piece, She Wants Me to Find Her. Yep. What was our next instrument? Uh, the propulsive lindrums. Michael and Kyle told me that they love using lindrum sounds and that we hear their process samples from that drum machine hmm. throughout Stranger Things. I think I hear it on the song Star Court. Lots of reverb. That leaves us with, what was that other sound that, I can't remember the name of it? That's the one. <laughs> That's the fair light, uh, reverb, delayed, affected cello sample. I'll be very impressed if you find this one in the in the Stranger Things score. So they don't have a fair light CMI. They have dozens, dozens of synthesizers in their studio. They do have lots of those very squealy lead sounds that feel like those Kate Bush melodies that they were talking about. Here's a piece they scored called 815. Or the piece, the ceiling is beautiful. (laughs) Different timbre, but same kind of vibe. 
Same world, for sure. We'll, we'll give it to you, Chuck. I'm hearing it. But the one that really caught my ear is one we actually haven't listened to yet, and that mm-hmm. is the creepy, horrific sounds that are actually on Running Up That Hill that feel like they could have been in a horror sci-fi soundtrack. hear that really eerie sort of like buzzy high thing it's actually a monster no oh okay it's actually a russian folk instrument called a balalaika oh yeah like a stringed like a guitar kind of a, a stringed plectrum instrument three strings triangle body sounds like this It's just kind of in there as a texture. Super eerie, you know? Yeah. It's being used in a way that makes it sound almost unrecognizable. So it's like a little unsettling. Yeah, 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 totally. And if you're looking for horror sounds on the Stranger Things soundtrack, uh, I mean, you don't have to look far. Here's here's one called Digging. Like, that could be a hammer and a bee buzzing. That's scary. I don't like that. You don't know what it is. It's out there. And this is, like, this is not a one-time thing for Kate Bush. She is into the world of horror sounds. Uh, She has a song called Waking the Witch on the same album. Wake up. I mean, basically, that song has been haunted by some demon, right? Wow, that is very cinematic. It's not the most terrifying. Oh, no. I can't handle it anymore. My poor heart. I think that her 1978 song, Hammer Horror, has got to take the cake. An article from The Ringer quotes NPR music critic Ann Powers as saying that this song, Hammer Horror, is named for the British studio behind classic horror movies like Dracula and The Curse of Frankenstein. I don't know about you, but those sounds are so terrifying that, yeah. I think the witch one was scarier, but point point taken. I don't know, Nate. Maybe I've taken you too far afield from running up that hill because even that song has some super creepy elements in it. Check out what happens at the end. There are demonic voices everywhere. Wow, it's is that Kate Bush's voice pitched down to sound like her evil doppelganger or something? She's the only credited vocalist, so yeah, I think we should assume that that is her voice, but pitched down and manipulated to be totally and utterly terrifying. Let's pause to commend not only the arsenal of spooky sounds that Kate Bush has mustered over the course of this episode, yeah, but just what an incredibly innovative, visionary, far-reaching artist she is. Yeah. I mean, you listen to these 1985 songs and they sound so, I mean, they sound of their era, like we've been talking about. Sure. But they also sound so contemporary in so many ways. It's like 
she captures the sound of the 80s, but also seems to forecast so many mm. things, vocal processing and manipulation that are like kind of coming around the bend. So what an, what, a, what an astonishing artist, honestly. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I had a longer conversation with Michael and Kyle that we're going to run as a bonus episode. And in it, they told me how this soundtrack which might make you think of the 1980s, is actually very contemporary. It's using contemporary film score ideas, but using instruments of that era. They said that had they scored it like a 1980s horror score, it would have been much cheesier. It wouldn't have the kind of intense jump scares that we expect today. <laughs> and kind of like you said, Kate Bush's music also sounds quite contemporary. It fits in with the rest of the 80s sounding stuff that we're hearing on the radio. And I think that's why they are so perfectly integrated. When people wonder why is this song working out so well, why is this legacy song going up the charts? It's because it's connected with the biggest TV show and streaming at this moment. It's interwoven into the narrative, played multiple times so that we hear the hook over and over and over again. And it's in perfect conversation with a soundtrack that many viewers have absolutely fallen in love with or been horrified by. I love that. The song of the moment is from 1985. And it's Kate Bush's running up the hill, peaking at number two on the UK charts. There's, there's some justice there. That's all I got. And that's all I need, Charles. Switched on Pop is edited by Jolie Myers, engineered by Brandon McFarland, illustrations by Iris Gottlieb, community management by Abby Barr. Our executive producers are Nishat Kurwa and Hannah Rosen, who are a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and the production of Vulture. And I want to say a special thanks to the website Reverb Machine, which makes synthesizer presets. They shared the MIDI data for the drum groove from running up that hill. You can find Reverb Machine in our show notes. You can find more episodes of Switched on Pop anywhere you get podcasts and our website, switchedonpop.com. Tell us what are your favorite musical cues in Stranger Things and or your favorite Kate Bush tracks on Twitter and Instagram at Switched on Pop. you also find in all those places we'll be posting a bonus episode, as I said, a longer conversation with Michael and Kyle from Survive who scored Stranger Things. If you want to get deep into the soundtrack, we get very nerdy. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode continuing our explorations of the intersection of music and television because I sat down with Robert Glasper, who scored the HBO series Winning Time about the 1980s Lakers dynasty. He's also an incredible jazz pianist. We talked about basketball, jazz, scoring. It's a really fun conversation. Yeah, and if you've been listening closely, you might think that, wait a minute, you skipped a Chartbreakers episode. Don't worry, it's still going to happen later this summer. But until then, we'll catch you on Tuesday. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Support for Switched on Pop comes from VibeCheck. If you need more of my friend Sam Sanders in your life, then you'll want to check out his new pod called Vibe Check. Each week, Sam and his two best friends, writer Saeed Jones and journalist and producer Zach Stafford, make sense of what's going on in the news and culture, from foreign policy to how to heal from a breakup. Every Wednesday, they check the vibe of what's going on in the world and how it all feels. It's like your favorite group chat come to life. Listen to and follow Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. 
To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.